Bonjour, Christine. <laughs> Did you know my name is actually French? So that is a pretty fitting. I don't know how to say it in French. Bonjour, but... Christine. I, I don't know. Um, that's beautiful. Thank you. We're going to Paris today, kids, because we have to talk about arguably one of the most important figures in the revival of ceremonial magic, Eliphas Levy. What? Oh my gosh. I feel like I'm in the presence of a Frenchman. Uh, a Frenchman. Monsieur Emothy. <laughs> I practiced all night making sure I said his name right. So oh, I as of as of yesterday, I am a Frenchman. Oh, okay. And I think everyone will be impressed by just how influential this one person was on the occult, including symbolism, tarot, and conjuring. I'm ready to be impressed by him, but I'm also extremely impressed already with you. So let's stay at that high because it's a downhill spiral <laughs> from here. Downward spiral. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Rituals, a Spotify original from Parcast. I'm M. Schultz. And I'm Christine Schieffer. <laughs> <laughs> Every week, we'll explore the evolution of spiritualism and the occult through stories, practices, and the impact on modern culture. Today, we're talking about Eliphas Levy, who we just mentioned in an episode about uh, Pascal Beverly Randolph. Yes, and I'm excited to get a deep dive on him today. It's fun that I feel like we're slowly building out our own rituals cinematic universe. Yes, that's so true. We're like, we're talking about one character. Like now we know that he exists, he's canon. And then the next episode coming out is like his backstory. His origin story. Ooh. Wow. Okay. See, I like where we're heading with this. Powerful stuff. Let's crack into it. Hear that? It's the sound of someone whacking the ground with a rake. Specifically, they're beating around the bush, which we've done enough of in this ad, too, so let's get right to it. The new Moneymaker scratch-off from the Ohio Lottery doesn't beat around the bush. Money Maker. Play the game and you could win money, up to $2 million. With more than $88 million in prizes, ranging from $50 to $500, Moneymaker cuts right to the cash. Lottery players are subject to Ohio laws and commission regulations. Play responsibly. It feels like we're all being told to go on this diet, take that supplement. Ozempic will give you depression, but you know what'll cure that? Weed. Or you could try to balance your hormones. At Science Versus, we're like... What the f*** is going on? Forget the crap online and listen to Science Versus. Just the facts. Oh, and a bunch of stupid jokes. What is a ghost's favorite fruit? Booberries. That's Science VS. New season out on Spotify soon. There's a new class of blockbuster drugs. Drugs like Ozempic. They're changing bodies. And all of a sudden, just the weight starts falling off. Fortunes. It just got too expensive. They're just bank breakers. And industries. There was a lot of excitement. There was a lot of skepticism. The impact of these drugs from business to health is just beginning. From the journal, Trillion Dollar Shot. Find it in the journal feed wherever you get your podcasts. So before we get into this, I've got a very important question for you. Oh. I'm always chock full of them, but this is probably one of my favorites to ask you. Uh Has anyone ever told you a story about a ghost encounter and you just had to believe them? Their story was just so good or so captivating. I just couldn't help myself. 
but believe mm-hmm. them. You know, actually, yes. And I think maybe sometimes I consider myself a little too believing, maybe too gullible. But I just, it's hard for me to believe when somebody tells a very compelling, powerful story and with emotion that they're lying. Like I have a, maybe I have too much faith in humanity. It's hard to believe, but uh, yeah, I definitely have. And even just strangers like on podcasts and things, I I have trouble uh, being too gullible maybe, but I've had the exact same response when I think about this question. I I think if someone seems truly freaked out by the experience and they, it like it moved them or they're, I mean, there's just, there's a way you tell a story when you're invested in it. And I feel like if someone's, I don't know, there's just something about it where you can tell if someone really is freaked out by their own experience. And don't get me wrong. I've heard stories where I'm like, "Mm, sure, you know, I don't necessarily believe you. But I feel like a lot of times I do believe them, even if I don't know them. And I think part of it, too, is the thought of like, why would they lie about that? Which, you know what? Some people just lie. So, yeah, to be fair, I do know that like there's not always a reason. But yeah, I'm with you. If somebody tells it with kind of an emotional, with a captivating... Even if they tell a story that's they're so freaked out by, but I can kind of see the, the holes in it, I at least believe that they believe that it. That they believe it. Great point. And that will be coming back. But since we are talking about Elifas Levy, which I will be... Uh, Levy, who I will... I'll be practicing this name the entire time. But <laughs> how much do you know about him before we get into this episode? To be quite honest, I only know... Uh, his name coming out of your mouth. I don't think <laughs> I've <Great>. really, <laughs> I think I've maybe seen the name written before, but I don't think I really know his backstory at all. I didn't know anything about him either, except that Pascal Beverly Randolph claimed to meet him during one of his trips in Europe. Right. PBR. Yeah. I do. I do recall that mm-hmm. uh, portion of that episode. I feel like this is just becoming an embarrassing pattern. Every, how much did you know? But nothing. Oh, I've been humiliated since episode <laughs> just like one. Nonstop. <laughs> I think like a hundred episodes into our, into, and that's why we drank. And then it <laughs> just, just kept happening. Just keeps happening. I think we're bringing it from, and that's why we drink, because one of the beautiful parts of that show is we walk in intentionally not knowing each other's right. stories so we can educate each Part other. Part of the fun. <laughs> and rituals is just a, a, a new step up where Extension. instead of one of us knows and educates the other, Neither of us know and educate <laughs> We educate ourselves and everyone has to sit along as we do it. It's not a super duper selling point, but it seems to be working. So I'm just not going to rock the boat. I'm loving it because I feel like we're all learning together. This is, by the way, just another opportunity to give a shout out to uh, our research team because oh, gosh. without them, we would not be able to <laughs> do any prep work before these episodes. But I feel like I get a crash course every week yeah. in all these Topics that obviously interest us that we yeah. would love to learn about. And for some reason, we just keep missing them in our own research. They passed us by like ships in the night. It makes me scared about my own research. <laughs> like, how am I missing this? <laughs> anyway, no, I, we're, I'm excited to teach you about this fella. And uh, I want to say that Elifast Levy questioned his faith in the church. And I feel like you're one of the only people I can ask this to and, mm. and get kind of a relatable you could you might be able to relate to him at least but i can get a relatable response but he ended up questioning his faith and that pushed him more towards the occult and i know that you grew up in a Mm. more catholic circle Mm -hmm. and and you have stepped away do you feel like you also felt like you were able to step towards the occult because you were stepping away from something else that is so interesting and yes a hundred percent Really? Yeah. And I don't know. I don't know that I had ever even really thought about it until now in that way. But yeah, I feel like I 
you know, that cliche of like, I'm a spiritual person, not a religious person. Yeah. Like I've always, I know it's cliche and kind of trite, but like I do kind of relate to that saying, I guess, just because I do feel like there's more than just us, but I do not think I, I am no longer kind of in a structured church Christian setting. I like pull, have pretty much fully removed myself from that. And I don't know if it's because I grew up with that, that I'm comfortable in spiritualism or the occult. I don't know if they're related or if it was just like, <laughs> I'm leaving that behind and this has now piqued my interest. I'm not sure. But yeah, definitely. I feel like I still have that belief that I feel like I took maybe the notion from Catholicism that like there's something bigger than us, very mm-hmm. vague, and that like the whole point is just being good to each other. And then I kind of found that in a different setting yeah. that wasn't church. <laughs> I mean, looking, I never was really raised with any a religious background, so I think I, my mind was just kind of a blank canvas for any <laughs> any opinion to just kind of fall on. And I, I think I. I was very lucky that I got to just see the world from a very open-minded space or to see mm-hmm. all belief systems from an open-minded space. And it's certainly not my place to to know what your experience was like, but looking through the window from a from a third person the perspective. The stained glass window. Yeah, you know, from your chapel windows. <laughs> I feel like I notice a trend with my friends who are like uh, ex-Christians. <gasps> Interesting. Where it just seems like we've mentioned it before, I think, on the show where I feel like you were put in this box from a really young age where you were told you can't think about that or you can't mm-hmm. believe in that. And the second you leave, you have all this opportunity for your curiosity to finally kind yeah. of search around. And I feel like it's just an easy I don't want to say slippery slope because there's a bad connotation to that, but it's just so easy to like finally be able to be curious and not be like lambasted for that. Yeah, yeah. So you yeah. just kind of start looking everywhere and that's that so true. People just end up there. And it's almost a more, at least in my experience, the at least the circles we run in, the the, the occult and spiritual practices is all very positive and uplifting yeah. for the most part. And I think that's also something people probably seek after being confined a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, 100%. Again, I'm someone who started with a blank canvas and I still fell into yeah, uh, more occult stuff just because they seem more accepting and supportive. And Open. I don't know enough to speak on it like really in full depth but my my experience going into like amateur circles of it is that everyone's just so excited to be learning about it together or it just it just feels like a much more welcoming space absolutely i 100 percent agree so anyway thank you for your opinion and also (laughs) i'm sorry for inserting myself but that's no standard please (laughs) always thank you it's your story here today but thank you for um opening my eyes to that pattern i hadn't really seen before <laughs> yeah give me that kind of credit that it's makes really me look interesting really cool also do you happen to know anything about kabbalah not really no i don't either and i feel like a, like yeah, i'm this one i really feel dumb about like i feel like i should i feel stupid because i i have a jewish mother i was and by that logic and the faith i'm also jewish and mm-hmm. and my family up before my mother they were all very religious and my mom kind of really? stepped away from from judaism yeah i didn't know that. not stepped away in that she didn't believe the same things, but it was my grandfather's choice later in his life to stop practicing for himself. So the kids kind of just stopped sure. learning to. And so I don't really know anything about it. And I feel kind of silly. I know it's like a, a Jewish mysticism, mm-hmm. but I don't really know more than that. 
Mm-hmm. Pretty vague understanding. Once again, we're all learning together. <laughs> yeah, hopefully, uh, huh, maybe rituals can just have their research team write up everything about Jewish mysticism for me. And that can just be my takeaway from this <laughs> I'll just read it to you. And- just be my teacher. <laughs> no, but I, I do feel silly for not knowing it. And I, I'm excited to dig into it. That's a why we're bit. here. We're learning. It's a, a safe space to learn. Mm-hmm. So Eliphaz Levy, he was born uh, with a different name. I'm going to try my best French accent here. And oh if you're French, I'm sorry. Alphonse Louis Constant. Wow. Thank you. Listen, I'm not French by any stretch of the imagination, but that sounded pretty good to me. <laughs> Thank you. Let's, let's <laughs> leave it there. Let's never say his name again and stick with the other very difficult for me, Eliphaz Levy. <laughs> so he was born in 1810 to working class parents in Paris. Oh, my God. Ooh la la. Paris. No, I can't do it. I cannot do it. My throat won't allow it. Croissant. Ch- okay. Well, <laughs> as a child, he was a bit of a loner, but very smart. And that inspired the priest of his local parish to send him to a seminary for a free education and to train to be a priest. What a fun prize. <laughs> You're smart. Go be a priest. <laughs> yeah. Where were the doctors saying you should Hang get on. a free education at Harvard <laughs> <Yeah>. Medical? <laughs> At the seminary, Levy learned Greek, Latin, and Hebrew. Wow. The Hebrew part's a very important part to this story. So okay. his seminary education was short-lived because he was accused of falling in love with one of his young students. <gasps> oh, no. That's not in. what you do at preschool. I know that much. I know you didn't mean to make a joke of that, but it's the priest school and preschool. <gasps> It sounded a little too close. Okay, I absolutely did not do that and did not even hear it. Was it was a fantastic play on words, but in just the worst the way. The worst way. And I want to promise you that was not intentional. I know, but my brain played them at the same Ooh, time and they harmonized gosh. and it was really bad. So rough. I just wanted to clear the air before anyone thought the same thing. Thank I did. you for You're calling welcome. that out. So he claimed that the relationship was purely platonic. Mm-hmm. But I, there is the stereotype, so it's hard for us to know what side to believe. Sure. The accusations, though, were significant to his direction in life. Okay. So they were, like, damaging whether or not it mm-hmm. was true. Okay. In one of his books of poetry, he wrote, uh, this is a quote from him, I understand that all the religion in my soul was based on this need, and I could not take my vows before the altar of a cold and egotistical cult without remorse. Whoa. So... They must have really not believed him, and he saw the complete other side to Christianity. Seriously, they did a number on him. He was like, okay, fine, I'm out. And also, my opinions have gone (laughs) from one side to the whole other. Yeah. And basically, his theological beliefs started to change, which put him more at odds with the church. Yeah, yeah, I can see that. So, Levy dropped out of school, and things got real rough for him, which Mm -hmm. I feel like he already was not given the best head start if he's got this rumor hanging over his head. Sure. Again, we don't know if it's true or not. So things got worse for him because his mother passed away around the same time. Mm. And financially, he made ends meet by working as a tutor in a boarding school. And he also sold his art and had at least one job in a Catholic diocese while they'd still have him. Okay. So he's like trying to... He's just bopping around trying to make ends meet. Okay. And this is a sentence I think my father probably screams about me to people. Once he got into his 20s and 30s, Levy became a radical socialist. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I was like, where are we going? (laughs) Oh. (laughs) I read that in the notes and I was like, hmm, yeah. Radical socialist, yeah. (laughs) 
<laughs> big fat commie or I don't know, whatever, whatever, <laughs> whatever I, dads say on Facebook, <laughs> whatever your uncle has to say during Thanksgiving. <laughs> so while he attributed his political leanings to his Christianity, those political leanings tended to run contrary to the church, which is interesting because I have seen the argument that Jesus was a socialist. And okay, like, but that's to- what I was trying to say, too. That's a great point, because I was trying to say, like, I took the part of Christianity that's like, oh, it's about love and being good to each other being christ-like which yeah and took that completely out of the religion and found that somewhere else Mm -hmm. so that's exactly that's a really interesting point yeah i love that note shout out to all of our researchers but that's one of my favorite things that i hear my friends who are deconstructing their faith Mm -hmm. they all say like i still want to be christ-like i just don't want to be christian and i just always think that's it's a very so interesting powerful thing yeah and there are some people out there who can find a way to blend the two but i right I happen to run in circles with people who wish to separate the two. So yeah, yeah. I just, I hear that argument more often. And I don't know, from an outside opinion, it makes sense to me. So Yeah, I can see it. He was really into this deep love-hate relationship with his faith of like, am I not being a good Christian by removing myself from the church, but would Christ love me for trying to be in his image mm. and all this stuff? So he tried to stay devoted, but he was also outspoken and critical of the church, including the church's conservative views on sexuality and how it vilified women. Oh, wow. So purity okay. culture. He's yeah, okay. wow, anti-purity wow. culture. So, so far, I'm totally on board with everything yeah. he's saying. I've, and it's like a, you know, a long time ago to be, um, I feel like it, the church wasn't the only group that was vilifying women and had conservative views on sexuality. Sure. So it's very impressively progressive view back then especially at the time i mean right if people in our family are calling us radical socialists like you like they (laughs) weren't kidding about him like he was a radical i mean he was probably stood alone as a feminist probably at the time yeah so levy then gets himself in more hot water when he puts all these socialist thoughts into writing whoops after publishing his book called the bible of liberty Mm -hmm. the courts find him guilty of preaching impiety which is the lack of reverence of god right and he's also found guilty of subversion which (gasps) is undermining the power and authority of an established system wow and he ends up going to prison for eight months oh my gosh okay (laughs) for just having views and and writing them down announcing them yeah yeah which I guess that's a slippery slope, too, because the other side that I don't yeah. usually agree with could say like, oh, well, I just have views and I'm writing them down. Exactly. But also, I don't think they go to jail for eight months for having a view. <laughs> so, yeah, it's um, this is, uh, I feel like, a debate for a law school class that I would oh. never get into. <laughs> so I feel like I can't stand on any sort of. You wouldn't get into. But if law school started offering bleachers and popcorn, oh. we would technically be there because I'd be sitting front row to watch this this get duped out. That's a great point. In 1846, Levy published his other book called The Voice of Famine, Hmm. and that sent him right back to prison. Oh, my goodness. And this time the charges were exciting hatred between different classes in society. Oh, my goodness. And none of this deterred him. He kept writing critical books and religious texts and his radical politics earned him even more time in prison. So he's just some snaps. He's not given up. He's saying, I know what what's going to happen and I'm okay with it as long as doing it. My words get put down. Wow. One of Levy's books called The Testament of Liberty was one of the first signs of how his ideas about religion and metaphysics were evolving. Mm. It's getting a, little, getting a little spooky. Yeah. 
It was published in 1848, by the way, and that was the year that the European Revolution rocked France. So. Oh, geez. So there, in context, there's a lot of turmoil. Mm-hmm. Okay. Coming up, Eliphas Levy goes from political agitator to influential occultist thanks to a pivotal encounter with a ghost. <laughs> what? You'll find out soon enough. What could be more shocking than uncovering the dark secrets behind history's biggest stories? Realizing that everything you thought was true was a lie. Hi, it's Molly from the Parkhead series, Conspiracy Theories. Each week, we take a closer look at the blurred line between fact and fiction, revealing that there may be more to the so-called truth than you think. The rise and fall of J. Edgar Hoover, 75 years of Roswell, the tragic death of Princess Diana. On Conspiracy Theories, we leave no stone unturned and no skeptic unheard. Some may be just outlandish claims. Others may make you rethink everything. Follow the Spotify original from Parcast Conspiracy Theories. Listen free only on Spotify. So just to recap real quick on Fast Levy, the name I cannot say. I'm trying so hard. You're doing great. Thank you. I just listened to us record a whole other episode where Christine nailed every word at every pronunciation. So I'm just a little insecure right now. You think I did. You don't even know. I'm sure we'll get some tweets. Well, fingers crossed. So I feel better about myself. I'm just kidding. Please don't tweet us. We're we're all we're all insecure. We're trying our best. So Levy grew up to become a troublemaker and especially with the church. His political and religious views and writings really riled people up around the mid-1800s to a point where he was being imprisoned for his yeah. opinions. And their opinions, let's just say they're books I would have read, to yeah. be clear. If you could read back then, which... <laughs> I thought you were saying, if you could read. <laughs> if you could read, end of sentence. No. <laughs> that would have been so harsh. I mentioned he studied at a seminary school for a short amount of time, and that's when his esoteric and occult interests really started. Oh. He had a professor who was really into spiritualism and mesmerism and animal magnetism. Whoa. To be clear, animal magnetism is the belief in an invisible natural force possessed by all living things. Oh. But the way I think of animal magnetism is when Holly talks about Michael Scott and says that he has raw animal magnetism. Yeah, I've always considered it in more like sexualized context, but I'm uh I'm sensing that's not what is meant in this story. (laughs) So the belief in an invisible natural force possessed by all living things. Okay. Fun fact. He had met this professor who was really into those things, and this inspired Levy to study magic and metaphysics. Cool. Levy connected with occultists and mystics, and among them was the famous Polish mathematician and occultist Josef Maria Honoronski. He adopted both European occultism and Hebraic Kabbalah as his faith and quickly became a major voice in those fields. Mm. In 1853, he went to London where he was welcomed into the social circles of British authors and occultists. I want to know what I need to do to be welcomed into the social circles of British authors and occultists. Me too. And this was soon after his wife deserted him, which I feel like I would like the tabloid on that story. Oh my goodness. 
But one biographer said he was still suffering and needed a change of scene. And that's kind of how this happened for him. Got it. Okay. Life change. Mm -hmm. And this trip to England was a pivotal point in his life and work. This is where he claims to have conjured a ghost. Oh, my goodness. What a twist. Not what a plot even twist. see a ghost. Just like this, Just boopity boppity boppity boop and just manifested a whole ghost. In front wow. Of okay. I cannot wait to hear about this. So this is him evoking the ghost of Apollonius of Tyana. What? That sounds like a chapter of Stranger Things. Yes, <laughs> what is going on? This is probably the most important event in Levy's trip to London because this was when he famously was said to have evoked the physical appearance of the legendary and ancient magus Apollonius of Tyana. Oh, my God. And a magus is a sorcerer, for anyone wondering. Okay. I prefer the word sorcerer. I think it sounds cooler. Sorcerer. I know. And you might remember Apollonius from our Emerald Tablet episode, by the way. Vaguely. I'll just say that. So far, we've got two... Crossovers. Two crossovers. We've got this whole episode of (laughs) Play V and the Emerald Tablet. According to Play V, he, he returned to his hotel one day to find a note it gets like kind of escape roomy. Yes, me. it does sound like one of M's famous virtual escape rooms. <laughs> Please go check out my link tree for my virtual escape rooms, by the way. Okay. <laughs> so according to him, he returned to his hotel one day to find a note. In the note was half a card. Like the other half was missing. Uh-huh. And the card had the seal of Solomon, which is a uh, predecessor to the Jewish star of David. Oh, okay, okay, okay. So there's a card in there, half uh-huh. of it's missing. And the note with the card said, come to Westminster Abbey at 3 p.m. the next day, where he'd be given the other half of the card. Oh, I see. It's feeling mysterious. It sure is. So when he got to Westminster Abbey, a carriage greeted him with an elderly English lady inside. The queen. I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> what is going on? In this carriage was an elderly English lady wearing all black, and she handed him the other half of the card. Whoa. But can you imagine if it was the queen? (laughs) Um, I can because that's what I'm picturing, but I know that that's not actually what happened. (laughs) So she seemed to know about Levy's love for the occult, and she invited him to her house where she had a magical cabinet, but he (laughs) had to promise to keep it all a secret. I... Want you to know if a stranger came up to me and said, I have a magical cabinet <laughs> that only you can know about, it might work. You would be in that carriage in 0.5 seconds. I would be in that unmarked carriage <laughs> very quickly. <laughs> you would be. Honestly, if you're seeking a way to kidnap the M. Schultz, here's your, here's your chance. That's the way. So as they were talking, Levy realized that this was sort of an initiation. Oh. At the old woman's house. She showed him her magical robes, which feels like a euphemism. Yep, it does. (laughs) She showed him her magical robes, instruments, and rare books that would help him get ready for the experiment of a complete evocation. (laughs) (laughs) What? I'm sorry. This story, I feel like I was like following it now. I'm just like, what is going on? I feel like that part in like Willy Wonka when you're going through that tunnel. And it's like just chaos. I feel like I'm having a fever dream. I feel like you have to go through that tunnel in a way to understand the story. Because I I also got lost. As I was reading these notes to prep, I was like, did I miss a massive chunk of notes somewhere? It must have been. Did we switch stories? Like, what's going on? No, just he just got in the carriage or the the old lady said, come meet me in my house. And she showed him her books. show you my instruments. My instruments. My magical robes. A wink. 
And that this was where he was going to have this this ghost conjuring. Sure, the experiment of a, a evoca- evocation. Is that yeah. what it is? Evocation, sure. yeah. Yeah, sure. So Levy studied and prepared for 21 days Oh, before he was allowed to complete the evocation, which okay. for me, I'm wondering like what those 21 days looked like that we don't learn about here. I wish but- we had like a montage scene. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, I would like that. I he would swallows like that some raw eggs, read some books. I'd like to push-ups. at least read his like diary of those 21 days. I'm very curious as well. It's interesting because he's going to try to conjure up the ghost of a long dead sorcerer. Oh. But for Marvel people, this feels like Doctor Strange, who is a sorcerer, and he spent an X amount of days at this place learning to become Doctor Strange. So oh, I see. It's almost like meta. It feels very, to me, it's only to me, it's very meta. Okay, got it. But yeah, so he studied and prepared 21 days leading up to this conjuring. And the ceremony took place in a room that resembled a temple with an altar. Okay. Levy wore priestly robes and a crown of leaves. Oh. He carried a sword. And a book that laid out the rules of the ritual. Okay. So for this ritual, he burned fragrant woods Mm -hmm. and read the evocations out of the book. Wow. So interesting. If you notice that I was hesitating, I was wondering if I should say something. Like, oh, it felt very churchy that he was at an altar and everything. Yeah, it does. Now that you mention it, and I I feel like I should have seen that sooner, but especially Catholic, like it sounds... I mean, not to overuse this word, but like a very ritualistic. He has like a book. I mean, we all know what that could represent. He's has like burning the wood. The crown the of crown. leaves. I mean, yeah, you're right. It sounds like mass. It really does. It sounds like he just switched one faith <laughs> yeah. to another. And which, you know, fine. That's fine. But it just it's there's a little it's a little on the nose. It's interesting. The similarities. Yeah. Mm hmm. So Levy said the earth shook and that a man appeared in front of him wrapped in a grayish shroud. Uh-oh. And he claimed that he saw the man appear three times before he fainted. Who fainted? Him or the man? I think before Levy fainted. Oh, okay. <laughs> it feels like it was such like a like a cosmic experience that he almost couldn't spiritually oh, grapple with it. Just and like he just overwhelmed. Overwhelmed, passed out. And Levy was supposed to ask the phantom two questions. Oh. One for the old lady and one for him. Which I like how the old lady, that was like part of her compromise. She's this. like, I get she- one too. <laughs> <laughs> but he said the apparition didn't speak to him. However, the questions were answered in his mind. Oh, I thought you were going to say he fainted before he asked the questions, but I'm glad he got those questions out. That would have been really disappointing. Oh, if he's such a bummer. He studied for 21 days time. just to fall over and not complete it. <laughs> Levy said he couldn't explain the science of what happened, but he insisted that he saw and touched Apollonius, allegedly proving that the magical ceremonies work. Mm. He's like, because I was able to physically experience him in front of me, Mm. I know he was there. Mm. And he wrote all about it in a two-volume book between 1854 and 1856, which was translated into English by another occultist named Arthur E. Waite. And that book was called The Transcendental Magic, Its Doctrine and Ritual. Wow. Sounds like a heavy read. Two volumes. I would also like to say, I wonder if this is going to eventually be just like how our Pascal Beverly Randolph story. Yes. Mentioned. Just one mention. 
Levy, and then it got a whole episode. Yep. I'm calling it now. Arthur E. Waite will be getting an episode eventually. Is he coming on up? I have a feeling. I don't know, but I would like to, like, like those dolls were like, they're nesting dolls where it's like one doll has another doll that has another doll. I feel like these stories, like, mention one person, then mention one person, and they each slowly get their own origin story. And here comes Arthur, the little baby (laughs) doll. We'll let you know when that happens, folks. The researchers are frantically writing. Okay. God, we didn't. Okay. Okay. You don't get to tell us what to do is what they're thinking. You're right. Um, You're right. Podcast, if you don't want to do that, that's totally fine. It's none of our business. We're just eye candy. Wait, <laughs> ear candy. Ear candy. Nose candy. Just kidding. <laughs> We're not that. So Levy created the image of the infamous occultist icon, the Baphomet. Oh, okay. I know we're throwing that in, but that's one fun fact we can't ignore. I Certainly not. And in his book, Doctrine and Ritual, he included a drawing of the Baphomet at the very beginning of the book. Okay. The drawing is, if you've ever seen a picture of it, uh, it's and that image was created by him. It's this. It looks like a more or less a, a image of a demon. If I'm you, looking at it now. It's sort of like has has horns, wings, the head of a goat, the body of a man. Well, the body of a person with both male and female parts. So oh, if okay. you look if you look closer, those oh, pecs, yeah. those pecs are boobies. That's right. He's got a winged human figure going on. He's got breasts. He's got a pentagram on his. He has now that I'm saying he has breasts. I don't know anymore. They they have breasts. They have a pentagram on their forehead. They have many esoteric symbols mm-hmm. uh, in the image. And a little crown kind of sitting in between the two horns. Yeah, yeah, I see that. I'm sure my grandfather would look at this and go, that's Satan. <laughs> yeah, right, right, right. But no. It does have very traditional, like, thinking of satanic panic. Like, this is the kind of imagery I imagine people would be frightened of back then, you know. Especially if you look at the picture, where I know our listeners can't see it, but for you, Christine, if you look at it, above him, there's a white moon phase mm-hmm. and below him is a dark moon phase i wonder if that's oh, symbolic that's symbolic of anything cool well i will say he's a talented artist he is a talented artist and baphomet is an intimidating little figure doing I, things yeah yeah very looks very confident absolutely is what and to clarify levy didn't invent the baphomet okay. but simply the Goatman image that was later embraced by all the occult mystical writers interesting okay i didn't know that so anytime you see a goat as a symbol for the devil or the dark arts that is thanks to levy's interpretation of baphomet what a fun fact for example in 2015 the satanic temple unveiled a statue of baphomet which it commissioned <gasps> wow okay i remember seeing this in the news like evangelicals were losing their minds of course certainly they were also in 2015, there was a horror movie called The Witch, and a murderous black goat is revealed to be a stand-in for the devil. Okay, so it's still happening pretty commonly. Yeah, his interpretation really has just led into like the image of yeah. the occult. And in 2009, there was a movie called Drag Me to Hell, which I <laughs> dragged me to hell because I went on a date with a boy to see that movie. You did not. I did. So you did drag you dragged yourself. I dragged to myself hell. to hell. Yeah. <laughs> to be fair, he also dragged himself because he's now also part of the LGBT the queer community. community. <laughs> we were both sitting there pretty miserable. I think. If only you knew and could like. Uh... You have no idea how many times we've said that to each other. Oh now. really? Yeah. It would have been <laughs> such a better date. Commiserate. <laughs> 
But in the 2009 movie Drag Me to Hell, co-writer Sam Raimi transferred a demon into a goat during a seance. Excellent. Wonderful. It was actually a great movie, but I just was not you having just, fun. The context of it wasn't fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Eliphaz Levy forever changed the way the world experienced magic. And coming up, we'll take a closer look at how his legacy lives on today. I mean, I'm already hearing how his legacy impacted your date with a boy. <laughs> I don't know what more I need, but I can't wait. While a major voice in the occult, Levy was described as introverted and spent most of his time in his small Parisian apartment, which sounds like the dream to a lot of people in my circle. Uh, absolutely. Ooh la la. <laughs> he died in 1875, but his impact is very much felt today. One of Levy's major accomplishments was integrating Kabbalah with tarot, another <gasps> rituals episode. Oh my gosh. I think that was episode four. And he believed the two had a close relationship. Interesting. Levy was not the first to link tarot to the Hebrew alphabet, but he was the first to specifically match elements of both one by one. Okay. And in Doctrine and Ritual, he wrote 22 chapters based on the 22 major arcana of the tarot, the trump cards in the pack. Yeah. Okay. That's really interesting. So he wrote, no wonder this book was so freaking long. Yeah. <laughs> good point. He linked each card to one of the 22 letters of the Hebrew alphabet. For example, he linked the juggler uh, or the magician in tarot to Aleph, which was the first letter of the Hebrew alphabet. Whoa. Okay. And the Popess, later known as the high priestess in tarot, was matched to Beth, which is the second letter of the Hebrew alphabet. Whoa. So it just goes on and on from there. That's really cool. I love that. I yeah. think that's such a cool idea. And Levy also proposed links between Kabbalah and the 10 numerical cards in each suit in tarot. And he linked the four tarot suits to the four elements. Oh. How fun is that? Oh, man, he's smart. This almost feels like a two-parter, a spinoff of our tarot episode. Yeah, it's sort of like a branch of it. So the coins, or they were later called pentacles, that is equivalent to earth. Mm -hmm. The cups are for water. The mm -hmm. scepters or wands are for air. And the sword is for fire. That is so neat. And some scholars of the occult were critical, saying that Levy made up these relationships. But regardless, his suggestions were prolific, well-written, and stood the test of time. To be fair, the tarot were made up also, right? Yeah. Like, you know, so I don't know. It was literally like a, like a drinking game or something, or a card game. It was game. like a parlor game. Parlor game. Parlor mm -hmm. game. Levy published only one modern tarot card, The Chariot. But that alone was a big influence on tarot deck designers. Wow, that's really cool. I love this. I'm this just is... so impressed by him. I am too. I think this is one of my favorite episodes we've done. Yeah. He helped to fuel the occult revival in the Western world, and his writings influenced other big-name spiritualists. Today, both Kabbalah and tarot have become universally recognized topics for the New Age enthusiasts. Absolutely. And every time you do a tarot reading there's a good chance Levy had something to do with it. Because especially if you're like, now you know, like, earth, water, air, yeah. and fire. and The symbolism. Oh, it's just got to be so cool. Especially if you're, like, really into tarot and following all the ins and outs of it. I wonder how many things you could put together now. Absolutely. That's it. That's as far as we get with Levy. I mean, it just, to me, just got better and better. I don't yeah. know. <laughs> I was so worried because I feel like so many times we cover a topic and it just 
ends in tragedy. <laughs> yeah, or it has to start with tragedy for him to have his journey or however it goes. Yeah, but- this is just a really powerful uh, story that I'm I'm really into this. I'm really into this episode. It was just somehow involved in so many things we've talked about. Yes, that's true. It touched on so many different things. I mean, the fact that Tara was so strongly influenced, but then also like you went to the movies and <laughs> saw that and like now you're reading an episode about it. It's just it's wild how many connections there are. I really dig Levy. I think you did a great job, even though you were worried about the pronunciation. Thank you. I Well, I appreciate that. <laughs> Thanks so much for listening. We'll be back next week with another great episode. Information on today's episode came from New Dawn Magazine, VillaVrivac.com, Benabel Wen, Sec Longaz Sacre, The Bible of Liberty by Alphonse Louis Constant, Eliphas Lévy, and The French Occult Revival by Christopher McIntosh, Headstuff.org, Britannica.com, NPR.org, Refinery29, and Slate.com. Remember to follow Rituals on Spotify to get a brand new episode every week. And you can listen to this and all other episodes of Rituals for free exclusively on Spotify. And if you like this show, follow at Parcast on Facebook and Instagram and at Parcast Network on Twitter. You can find me at VM Schultz. And you can find me at Xteen Schiefer. Thanks again for listening and we will see you next week. Rituals is executive produced by Max Cutler and is a Spotify original from Parcast. It was created by Max Cutler. Sound design by Kristen Acevedo with associate sound design by Jamie Ryan. Fact checking by Katherine Barner. Research by Chelsea Wood. It's produced by Kristen Acevedo and Jonathan Ratliff with production assistance by Ron Shapiro. We're your hosts, Christine Schiefer and M. Schultz. Mm-hmm.